0: Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 20. I'll be reading from the English first, and then in Mandarin Chinese. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, 将那赐人智慧与启示的灵赏给你们 this
1: is God's word. Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Don't you think that one of the reasons that the celebration of Christmas is so appealing to so many is that it stimulates and delights so many of our senses. For our eyes, there's light and color. For our touch, there is warmth and the softness of fur. For our taste, there is a cornucopia of sweetnesses. For our smell, there is cinnamon and almost virtually every spice. And for our ears, there is a spectrum of sounds of joy and delight. These are sounds of hope, and hope is going to be our theme for the morning. I think I looked and read over, well over, a hundred quotes to find some quotes to spice up. This sermon at appropriate times, and somewhat to my surprise, to my estimation, the best of all of them came from Billy Graham. He wrote, I've read the last page of the Bible, and everything turns out right. That's hope. The assurance that everything turns out well in the end, the opposite of hope would, of course, be hopelessness. There are a few sadder words I have heard from human lips than that I have no hope. There is no hope for me. As a pastor, the vast majority of funerals I have conducted have been celebrations of lives lived in Christ. They have been, without exception, a privilege and an honor in which to have had a part. On occasion, however... I have also presided over services for lives that have been lived far from the fellowship of faith. I have a standard I will not say no to any funeral. If I'm asked, I just not have been asked as many times for those kinds of settings. Even if it is a family or a life that, as far as I know, doesn't know Christ, they are asking for Christian ministry in the present, and I am happy to give it. But relatively speaking... Those kinds of funerals for me have been few. Without question, though, the most agonizing sound I have ever heard in my life, with the possible exception of the sound I have heard from a wounded animal, with which there is much similarity, are the sounds, some of the sounds, I have heard on some of those occasions. The sounds of hopelessness in the face of death. I've heard a family member at a grave amid a cry, bleak, barren, without melody or movement, that is, I believe, the sound of hopelessness. It is the sound of despair, of darkness at the end of everything. Search the Internet, and you will find some entries, quite a few, and even some YouTube clips under the title, The Wail of Death. Corrie ten Boom has written, Joy is deeper than despair. Those are bright and promising words. I believe them. But in hearing them, I wonder what makes them true, rather than just being an optimistic assertion. Of course, for Christians, the answer, the only answer, is Jesus Christ. New Father Ray Fox, Ray, I didn't ask if I could use your name. Let me just ask now publicly, is it all right? (laughs) I don't want to have to buy you a dress at Nordstrom's. (laughs) That's what I do if I use Stephanie's name uh, without asking. New Father Ray Fox gave one of the finest devotionals I have ever heard, ever To our deacons yesterday morning, and he spoke with the joy and wonder of a father who has held and is holding, as I speak, the new life of a child in his arms. Children are clearly evidences. Children are clearly signs that the world has a future. But the assurance that that future is a good one falls on the shoulders of one child only that's why when the angel speaks to the shepherds in the christmas story of luke 2 he says behold i bring you good news of great joy for unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior which is christ the lord our topic is hope and some anonymous sage has written the past is history the future is mystery but the present is a gift, that's why it is called the present. But if the present is a good gift, it can only be so if it comes with the assurance of hope. We simply, I believe, cannot overestimate the degree to which our present behavior and our present living is connected and determined by what we believe about the ultimate future now our christian translation of the biblical word for hope hope doesn't particularly help it has developed a lot of connotations of insecurity and of uncertainty when i see a person ahead of me at the usually the 711 store buying a lottery ticket and sometimes the cashier will hand it back saying i hope you win I think to myself, that isn't hope, that's a pipe dream. The biblical understanding of hope is a life-shaping, joyous certainty that your future is to be grasped by the love and glory of the living God and is to be rounded by a new heaven and a new earth. The real life-changing dynamic of Christianity is an experience within one's self of nothing less and other than the presence of the future. Listen again to the text just before Poway read to us, verses thirteen and fourteen of that first chapter of Ephesians. You were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. So we have been given a first installment, a first installation of the future redemption of the universe. And it is part of the presence of God's own life, His Holy Spirit, His seal, His token, His promise in us. That's why... First Peter has the audacity to say we're born again into a living hope. What does Paul say to this church that he loves in Ephesus? What does he pray for them? He prays several things for revelation, for wisdom. We have to weave our way through it grammatically to what is the core of the priority of his prayer for the people in Ephesus? And it is this that you might have assurance of seeing This hope, Paul understands our present behavior and our present living is intimately connected and directed by what we believe about the future, what the future will be. Verse 18 18 tells us that he wants the primary saturation of our life to be smitten in our inmost being, I pray that you will know the hope to which you have been called. So that biblical word, hope, is much deeper and much more secure than our English translation. If someone says, uh, do you know that something's true? You might respond, well, I don't know it's true, but I hope it's true, as if to underline some importance of insecurity or uncertainty. Hebrews 11.1 one puts it, Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Yesterday, Ray Fox called that a biblical paradox and God's surprising gift. What we need to know is that biblical hope is not a pipe dream, but a bedrock assurance that changes everything. One of my favorite hymns is Ralph Vaughan Williams' For All the Saints. It has a stanza that goes like this. The strife is fierce, the warfare long. Steals on the ear the distant triumph song. Then hearts are brave again. And arms are strong linger for a moment with that word picture that he's summoning us to he picture yourself in battle because the the hymn invites you to picture yourself there you are losing and succumbing to forces which are against you and not adjacent to you not present to your field of vision but some distance away not yet on the battlefield over the hill comes the strain, the triumph song, it's called, of a advancing army. The reinforcements are there, and your arm is quickened, and your strength is renewed, and you fight with a new vigor, because the certainty of the future has been assured for you. When I was in seminary, one of the favorite books uh, of seminary seminarians to read was by an author, a uh, Jewish psychiatrist who had survived the Holocaust in World War II. Um, Viktor Frankl, who was puzzled by why some people endured and some people wasted away under the same torturous conditions. He uh, tried to figure out why, and he decided this, and I quote, if a prisoner lost faith in his future, he was doomed. He gave this example. One of my friends in the camp had a dream that the war would end March 30th. He was convinced the dream was a revelation, but as the date drew nearer, it became clear from the news reports the war was not ending. On March 29, he began running a temperature. On March 30, he lost consciousness. On March 31, he was dead. His loss of hope had lowered his body's resistance to all of the diseases of the camp. Another illustration, one of uh, the most resilient of his fellow prisoners, one who in the midst of the most uh, unbelievable oppression and torture, regularly evidenced kindness and generosity, was not broken by that which was around him. He asked why, and he replied, "I I always remembered my wife, who, by the way, was dead at that time. I always remembered that at any time my wife might be looking down on me, or God might be looking down on me, and I didn't want to disappoint them. Your believed-in future will form, will determine how you live now. Paul says there isn't another way. Let's look very briefly. I want to look at two distinctive passage, uh, characteristics in this passage about hope. And then close with an illustration. There are two surprising features that I found in this particular passage about the distinctness of Christian hope. Look first at verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Look at that word, inheritance. It means value. It means net worth. It means treasure. And in a host of commentaries, both for what it's worth, liberal and conservative, they all agreed 100% on this particular point that this is not our inheritance, but the Lord's. Listen to it again, the riches of his Glorious inheritance in his saints. What do you give a person who has everything? What do you give to Bill Gates that means anything to him? What do you give to the creator of the universe who has everything, who has set the stars on its course? There is one thing that this text suggests that the Lord did not have before he endured his suffering, and that is you. His glorious inheritance is the saints. Know that as your future and your present will be changed. Secondly, Paul prays that the eyes of his heart may be enlightened so that we might see, verses 19 and 20, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. So powerful is this living hope that Paul can only speak of it in terms of dying and rising. He can only speak of it in terms of the resurrection power itself, that power which breaks through every barrier, every period, every comma, every end every attempted end, to what would be our life. He says, if you want the best picture of your future, look at the risen Christ. The resurrection power is God's work present in your life now. Power which brings life from death. Power which brings God's transformation. Then he moves immediately on to it in this amazing passage, from the resurrection to the session of Christ, Christ's work is done. Christ's work is complete. Christ is at rest in the place of honor and authority at the right hand of the Father. He rules and reigns in resurrection triumph, in session, at the right hand of God himself. This week you've seen the death of one of the great figures of the 20th century. I believe that is true because the genius of Nelson Mandela's contribution was a direct result of his connection to an understanding of biblical hope. Growing up, Mandela attended a Methodist church school and was baptized in a small African Methodist church. Christianity Today reports this week that in his autobiography, The Long Walk to Freedom, He speaks with great appreciation of his early Christian formation, he writes. I saw that virtually all of the achievements of Africans seem to have come about through the missionary work of the church. While attending college, the most elite black college of that time in South Africa, he was a member of the Christian Student Association, and he taught Bible classes at Churches in nearby villages, Mandela's Christianity, so the article maintains, helped him resist in the 1940s being swept along with the communism of the rest of the movement of which he was closely aligned. He simply, uh, for all its appeal to him, could not give uh, allegiance to the atheism of communism. He clearly believed there was another way to go. Mandela's Christian faith influenced him even at uh, the most revolutionary part of his career. And I quote uh, the article. Rather than bombing densely populated areas, Mandela instead chose to organize acts of sabotage, the first target being an electricity substation. Later attacks would focus on things like the burning of crops, destruction of government offices, damaging government-owned factory machines, blowing up telephone lines. All of this was carefully done at night so as to avoid any civilian casualties. During his long quarter-century incarceration on Robin Island, he regularly attended Sunday worship service, and perhaps his most famous lines to have been quoted also reflect at least indirectly a Christian formation he writes unless I unless I unless I have been changed I cannot change others and upon his release this reflection as I walked out the door of the gate that would lead to my freedom I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind I'd still be in prison now granted apparently Mandela did not write frequently, explicitly about his Christian faith, but he did so. I found three occasions online. Here is uh, one Easter address in 1994 to the Zionist Christian Alliance. And I quote from Mandela, The good news is born by our risen Messiah who chose not one race, not one country, not one language, not one tribe, but who chose all of humankind. Each Easter marks the victory of our risen Savior over the torture of the cross and the grave. We raise our voices in holy gladness to celebrate the victory of the risen Christ over the forces of death. I close on a note of hope. May this Easter bring with it the blessings of our resurrected Lord. And may his love shine upon our land and its people. It is the formation of Christian hope and that assured future that was the foundation of a political philosophy and world worldview that did change a continent and a world. Perhaps some of you have seen the really great film Invictus, uh, Invictus that really that solidifies an iconic moment. It was uh, the occasion in which the Springbok rugby team of South Africa made it to the finals, the World Cup finals for rugby, probably a little bit different from the World Cup finals of uh, soccer, which would be even larger, but the World Cup for rugby. And uh, the Springbok rugby team, it seems, during the years of apartheid, was um, was an emblem of white authority and oppression. And black South Africans hated it. They rooted against any other team that was playing Springbok, somewhat like we root for any team that's playing the Yankees on this side. And so it was an iconic moment when, in the beginning of the finals, uh, uh, Mandela walked on the field with a springbok hat and greeted each member of the even-then-mostly-white team. And as he went off the field, all South Africans, black and white, saw the largely white stands shouting, Nelson, Nelson, Nelson. That's why perhaps one of the great iconic photographs of all of sports is Mandela uh, presenting the world trophy to the springbok captain upon uh, their victory in 19 either 94 or 95 at that the next year in his inaugural address he ended it with may god bless africa i believe god has blessed africa through the christian ministry of nelson mandela as he will bless all those who live out of the assurity of this living hope, which when we are connected to, changes everything and brings with us not only the presence of the Holy Spirit, but the transforming, transfiguring power of the resurrection. We are His glory, His rich inheritance. And when we see that it was that living hope that led Jesus through His suffering of the cross, when we believe that we are his inheritance. To the degree that we do, he will become our inheritance and our living hope. Living and holy God, we are thankful for all the sights and sounds, colors, and smells of the season. But most of all, we are glad that they lead us to a vision of not A bright optimism, not a pipe dream, but a solid living hope, sealed with your Holy Spirit and shown to us with a foretaste of the future and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and over all that which is killing us. Father, may we connect ourselves to that assured future. And because of that, have everything in us changed and have the possibility of being agents of change for others. For it is in the name of hope himself, even Jesus Christ, that we pray.